Well, we certainly welcome you as we gather to worship our God together. We have a number of folks that are away. Many of them are sick, so we do want to pray for them that God would raise them up at this time. Uh, On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. And by the way, if you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you here. And if you haven't done so, please sign the guest book, which is there at the back of the auditorium before leaving today. So we have a record of your visit among us. We'll be having lunch after this service, and then following lunch, we'll have an afternoon service about 1.45, and on that service, we'll be gathering on the Lord's table, so keep that in mind. Uh, Wednesday, we'll having prayer meeting. We do prayer meeting on Zoom, and uh, I'll be away this Wednesday. I will be taking part in the Michigan State Police Academy graduation Wednesday and Thursday. So uh, if you have trouble with Zoom, call the Middletons. Mr. Middleton will be the one getting Zoom set up. So uh, that's uh, this Wednesday, so keep that in mind. But we will be having prayer meeting. I'll just be away. And then you see the other announcements concerning dates that are coming up. I would make mention that there is an election on Tuesday. And I say that simply because not, I mean, I'll be glad to tell you who to vote for if you ask me privately. I will not do it from the pulpit, but I will tell you that we need to defeat Proposal 3. That proposal needs to go down. It is a wicked, very, uh, the wording is so ambiguous that it can go far farther than any of us would ever imagine. And so I would encourage you to read the proposals and and vote in light of the wisdom God gives you. But it's a moral issue. Proposal 3 is a moral issue that needs to be defeated, and we'll pray to that end. All right, well, that's all the announcements that I have. Now, as we give ourselves to the worship of our God with our focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah prophesied many years before Jesus Christ would come into the world But he said concerning the work of Jesus Christ that he would be wounded for our transgressions and he would be bruised for our iniquities. So we have much to be thankful for that he was our substitute and took our place for the punishment that we deserve. Will you just take a moment to prepare your hearts to worship God this morning?
Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It is a responsive reading that again helps us to focus upon our Lord Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him from various texts that are found in the Scripture. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scourging its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count all things but rubbish be found in Christ Jesus. Now take your hymns of grace. It's the larger hymn book. The hymns of grace, number 126, Behold Our God, 126 hymns of grace.
Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the privilege we have to meet here openly today. Thank you for the guests we can have with us. And uh, pray that today we would be reminded of your infinite grace and mercy and that we would praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And now in the Trinity Hymn Book, Trinity Hymn Book 178. 178, O sacred head now wounded with grief and shame weighed down. A hymn that speaks about the great suffering that Jesus Christ endured as he went to the cross for his people. 178, the Trinity Hymn Book.
Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of this, into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, "The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard." And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And the young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness, to, false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the serving girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the serving girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. 
But again he denied it, and after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This morning as we go to prayer, once again, we especially want to remember the Berean Baptist Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico with Pastor Vader. So let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are that you were willing to send your Son into this world. We are thankful that he endured so much for his people. We cannot even imagine what it must have been like to leave all the glories of heaven to take on the form of a servant, to be made in the likeness of man, and then to endure all the suffering and persecution, the calling of names being spit upon, and then to go to the cross. We're thankful for His willingness to go to the cross and become sin for us, This one who knew no sin, your son, you poured out your wrath upon him because of the sins of your people and because of his work. Many of us know the reality of forgiveness of sin and know what it is to have a relationship to you, to be reconciled to our God because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Father, we pray that we would know more and more in our own individual's lives, what it is to count all things as rubbish for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And we would pray this morning, not only here in this place, but wherever your word goes forth, that today would be a day of salvation for some. That they would see their sin and run to Jesus Christ, who alone is able to forgive. Father, we pray that your kingdom would be expanded because you have been pleased to grant faith and repentance to many as your word goes forth. Father, we do pray this morning that you would be with those who aren't able to be with us, some who are away, but several who are sick. And Father, how we pray that you would raise them up from these beds of affliction that they would be able to be back with us very soon. Father, we would pray as well that you would be with us as a state and us as a nation, even as we have the privilege of casting votes this coming week. And, And pray that you would give us wisdom in making those decisions. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would raise up men and women who would serve in government, who have a greater fear of God than they have of man. And that the Word of God would be that which to direct their steps. Father, we're a sinful nation and we acknowledge that. We shed innocent blood every day. 
And we deserve your wrath and judgment. But how we would cry out to you to have mercy upon us. And how we pray that during these days you would bring bring about a revival. That, Father, you would do a work in hearts and lives that men would turn to God and to your word. And that that would lead us and guide us even as a nation. Father, we would ask that individuals would take time to to read those proposals. And, Father, how we pray that that one, Proposal 3, would be defeated. Father, how we pray that we would value human life. Man is made in the image of God. And we as a nation and we as a state have blood upon our hands. Forgive us, we pray. And how we pray that this proposal would be defeated so that it might not run all the more rapid in our day. Father, we're thankful for the fellowship and the partnership that we have in the gospel with many around the world. And we thank you for the Berean Baptist Church there in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Thank you for the many years that you've given us to be in partnership with them, to pray for them. Father, we pray that you would raise up men in their congregation who would be able to serve in the diaconate and the eldership. We know that's one of their needs And how we pray that you would meet that need in days to come. Father, we're thankful for the literature ministry, the book ministry that they're engaged in with Hispanic Hispanic written books. We thank you for Pastor Vader and his opportunity to meet on Zoom with Hispanic pastors from various places. And pray that you would use him to be a help to those pastors and ministers. And may they encourage him as well. Father, we pray your blessing upon them as they gather as your people. Use that church for the advancement of your kingdom there in Puerto Rico. Father, again, we ask that you would come by your spirit as your word comes to us this morning. May the spirit of God come and minister unto us and do us good so that at the end of the service, we might be able to say it has been good. To have been in the house of God. So meet with us to that end. As we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God. Take your Trinity hymn books once again. The Trinity hymn books. Turning to 171. 171. A hymn that again focuses upon Jesus Christ. But here he is our redeemer. My dear redeemer. And my Lord. 171 Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we stand.
You can be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have one, there may be one in the pew there, but Deuteronomy chapter 21. For those of you who are visiting with us, we are in the midst of going through this book together. It is Moses as he is instructing the people of God before they are about ready to enter into the promised land. And we now find ourselves in the section of his instruction in which he is speaking to them about the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment is, Thou shalt not murder. And Moses is opening up for us the broader meaning behind that command in the same way that Christ does in the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember in Matthew 5, Jesus says, You've heard of old, thou shalt not murder, but I say unto you, and then he opens it up in in a broader way that he's speaking here not just of killing somebody, But it also refers to that of becoming angry with someone, of seeking to do them evil. And so it has a broader meaning than simply, thou shalt not take another's life. You may think to yourself, I've obeyed the sixth commandment because I've never really killed anyone But at the end of the day, we're all guilty of breaking this commandment because we've all been guilty of perhaps speaking evil of someone, of mistreating someone. And in all these things, we are guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. Now, we've been on chapter 21 for now. I think this is the third week that we've been looking at this chapter together because What we have in this chapter are four scenarios. In verses 1 through 9, there was the scenario of the unsolved murder. The unsolved murder. And with this scenario, Moses is reminding the people of the great value that one ought to have for human life. Every human is made in the image of God. And God values human life and we're to value human life. And therefore we have this first scenario. Scenario number two is the disadvantaged woman in verses 10 through 14. She's that woman who was a captive of war that now comes and live amongst the people of God. And we were taught in this scenario that we're to treat people with dignity. All human life should be treated with dignity. And then in verses 15 to 17, we came to that scenario that involved the vulnerable individuals. And here we saw the man who had two wives, and he he loved one and didn't love the other. He loved the second wife and not the first wife, but the first wife has the firstborn son, 
And his passions would tell him to give the inheritance to the second son. And our Lord is teaching us, and Moses is teaching his people, that we need to subdue all passions which tends to unjustly take away the lives of others. And now we come to the fourth scenario, which is found in verses 18 to 23. Let me read that in your hearing, and we'll open that up together this morning. So Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and his mother, and when they chasten him, he will not even listen to them, Then his father and mother shall seize him, bring him out to the elders of the city at the gateway of his hometown. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So you will remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he is to be put to death, and you will hang him on a tree. And his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. I can remember being a a little boy and hearing this passage read, and it put a little fear in me. A disobedient and stubborn son that is taken out and stoned to death. But what we have here in these verses is Moses setting before the children of Israel the God-given procedure that they were to follow when it came to deal with a crime that is punishable by death. We would call it capital punishment. What procedure were they to follow when someone commits a crime that is punishable by death? And the purpose of giving this instruction was so that there would be a limit to the practice of it and that it would be carried out no farther than what God has dictated. You see, there were certain crimes that were punishable by death. You might recall, look over to Deuteronomy 19. And here we remember we, we looked at these cities of refuge. And here in Deuteronomy 19 and, and verse 11, we read these words. But if... There is a man who hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him 
and rises up against him and strikes him so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and take him from there and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. You shall not pity him, but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel that it may go well with you. So here was a, a crime that was punishable by death. If you take a man's life, your life should be taken. If it was a premeditated, out of a heart of hatred, that you kill another person, your life would be taken. Look over, look over to Genesis chapter 9. We have the same principle set before us. And the reason for the principle, Genesis chapter 9. And verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God he made man. If you shed innocent blood, your blood is to be shed. Why? Because man is valued. The life is of a man is to be set apart. It's different than any other creature. He is made in the image of God. And so now Moses, and, and, and I would say we'll get to it later, but even in, in chapter 22 of Deuteronomy, there's the idea of a man who forcibly takes a woman... He rapes her. That man is to be put to death as well. In chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, there was crimes such as someone who would call himself a prophet and seek to lead the people away from God. That man's life is to be taken. There, there were certain crimes that would be punished by death. And so Moses is now instructing them not so much about the crime. He's not telling them, here are the crimes that are punishable by death. What he is setting before them in these verses is, here's the procedure that is to be followed if a man commits a crime that deserves death. And so Moses basically has two parts here in these verses, first of all, the prosecution that leads to execution in verses 20, 18 to 21. And then he gives instruction about not misusing this process in 22 and 23. They want justice to be carried out. And so as we open up this executed criminal and the procedure that is to be followed, we will note several things together. Now, I would say this. It is not a specific case before us. In fact, I would say there is not a crime recognized in this passage. 
You see, some would read this and say, if the children of Israel had a disobedient son, they're to take him out and stone him. I do not believe that's the crime. I believe this disobedient son has committed a crime, though not specifically named, that deserves death. I know of no place in the Bible where there were disobedient sons taken out and stoned. But it's telling us something about the character of this man in particular that now grabs our attention. So what I'm saying is this. We're not looking for a specific crime here. No specific crime is mentioned. But he has committed a crime that's worthy of death. And so what are we to do? How are the children of Israel to handle this? That's what's being discussed here in this passage of Scripture. How is this case to be prosecuted by the children of Israel when they enter into the promised land? So the first thing I want you to notice with me is a description of the Son. We have a description of this Son here in this passage of Scripture. And it's almost as though Moses is giving us a stereotype of this criminal. He's describing him in such a way that it almost sets him apart. You know this guy's trouble. It is said that he's a stubborn and rebellious son. It is implied that the parents have instructed him. The, the parents have sought to teach him. Again, the language sort of points to that. They, they say there in, in verse 18, he will not obey his father and his mother. And when they chasten him, he will not listen to them. Oftentimes, is it not, when you see rebellious children, when you see disobedient children, or when you see, to use our common day vernacular, when you see brats, what do you say? Where are the parents? Why aren't the parents taking care of this? Isn't that something of our response? When you see young people destroying property or, or young people out tearing up things and so forth, where are the parents? Well, sometimes parents are diligently seeking to train and discipline their children, but their children won't listen. Their children are just rebellious. And, and that should be an encouragement for some of you who may have children who are not living as you would long for them to live and you sort of beat yourself up. We, we sought to train them. We didn't do everything perfectly, but we sought to treat them and train them and discipline them in the things of God, but they won't listen. They have this stubborn streak, streak and they're going to do their own thing. That's the scenario here. My son just isn't listening. Now, 
Any of us who've been parents have gone through that. And some of us who've been grandparents have gone through that. I was on my way home on Friday, and I get a FaceTime call from my littlest grandson. And, you know, it was one of those calls. As soon as I answered, I saw his face. He had the red things around his eyes, sort of sniffling a little bit. It's like, what's going on? And he says, Grandpa, I've not been a good listener today. Well, you know, being a, a father and being a grandfather are, are two different things completely. What, what do you mean, Abel? What, what? I just, I just haven't listened, Grandpa. And Mommy and I were talking, and we thought it might be good for, for me to call you and talk to you about this. This is a real conversation I'm having with this guy. And then he says, of all things, I don't know where he got it from, but he says, Grandpa, maybe you should come and spank me. I said, I'm your grandfather. We've all known those occasions when our children haven't been good listeners and they rebelled concerning the things taught to them by their parents. Look, look over to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are graceful wreaths to your head and ornaments about your neck. Now, there are two things I would say about what the writer of Proverbs says here. Number one, it is implied that mom and dad are teaching. Listen to your father's instruction. Obey your mother's teaching. Implied there is mom and dad are engaged in teaching their children. That's our responsibility as parents. To instruct our children in the things of God. Don't push that on anyone else. But there's also implied that children are listening to what their parents are saying. They're instructing them. And therefore, the children are giving attention. They are good listeners. They they do not need to call Grandpa and confess, I've not been a good listener today. As your parents, if you've got parents who are diligently seeking to instruct you in the things of God, number one, give thanks to God, and number two, listen to what they say. They will make mistakes. Parents are not perfect. But if you've got godly parents who want to see you live before God in a way that's pleasing to Him, then give attention to what they say. 
But here we have a son who doesn't do that. He will not listen to them. They seek to chasten, to discipline him. Yet he still rebels and will not obey. And even his conduct becomes one of being a glutton and a drunkard. He simply lives to please his own appetite. His whole purpose in life is to live in such a way that it's all about him. And he lives concerned about only one thing. What makes me happy? And so he eats and he drinks. He's a glutton and he is a drunkard. So we see something of his character. He's stubborn and disobedient. We see something of his conduct. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And, and such conduct is warned about, especially in the book of Proverbs. Don't be a glutton. Don't be a drunkard. Deny yourself. Live for a higher purpose. If your purpose in life is yourself, It'll never be satisfying. You need to have a higher purpose. And the higher purpose is to live for the glory of God. To live for Him and for Him alone. And so Moses is given to us a general description of the character of whose behavior is such that he's committed a crime that is worthy of death. That is worthy of death. So how are they to proceed? What are they to do? And then we notice the details of the trial process. The details of what's to go forward. What's to happen. Now remember... There's no law enforcement. The parents don't go to the phone and pick up nine and, and dial 911 and say to the police, you need to come. We have a domestic dispute. You need to come. No. They don't have a law enforcement department in Israel. And so where does this procedure begin? It begins in the home. And it begins with the family. When an issue comes up that, that is so difficult and, and so heinous and, and so challenging that to deal with it on their own would not be profitable, they take their son and, and they go to the elders of the city. In all likelihood, the family would often be the first to notice a man and his increasing in criminal behavior. The, the family unit was close-knit. It's not like our day, you know. You, you didn't run off to college several, several miles from home. You usually stayed within the family unit. Nowadays, we would say probably the first to notice some things going on might be a roommate. It might be a friend in college. It, it might be someone they, they work with. 
But in Israel's days, as they go into the promised land, it's, it's the family unit that plays such an important role. And this son becomes involved in trouble. And therefore, they go to the elders. And the elders listen to what went on. And the elders assess whether or not this is criminal behavior that's worthy of death. And then we read, Verse 20, they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. When it is verified that this man is guilty of committing a crime that is worthy of death, he would be stoned. And it is interesting that all the men of the city would come out to stone him. Being stoned is a brutal way of executing someone. And, And the reason all the men would be involved in this execution is because When someone is stoned and several people are involved in the stoning, who throws the fatal stone is never really known. Which stone exactly put this man to death? And so all the men of the city would come out and take a part in this stoning This is the process by which the death penalty was administered, was to be ministered when they went into the land that was promised. And what was the end of it all? Look at verse 21. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death, so you shall remove the evil from your midst. And all Israel will hear of it and fear. This was to be used as a deterrent. This was to be used as a deterrent. If you're going to commit such crimes... There are consequences that you must face. You will not be let off easy. And if you commit a crime that's worthy of death, you will be stoned. And everyone will know about it. And everyone will realize, I should not engage in such an activity because that will be my end. There's a deterrent in punishment that would cause someone to fear and not engage in it. How prevalent is that for our day when we no longer punish criminals and we simply tell them, don't do it again. Now, please... Don't anyone leave here this morning and say, that church over there on the corner of Church and Locust, 
They're going to start stoning people. No, that's not the responsibility of the church. It's the state's responsibility to see that criminals are punished for their crime. And when criminals are punished for their crime, there's a deterrent that takes place so that others won't engage in such activities. That's the principle laid out here. And it is not my purpose to preach on capital punishment this morning because I know it's somewhat of a controversial issue. But it is my purpose to say wrongdoers ought to face consequences for their wrongdoing. And that will lead to a deterrent. So we see the description of the Son. We see the details of the process. But then finally, I want you to notice with me the demands. The demands set forth by their God. So the man is taken out in stone. What are they to do with him? Well, they're told that to put him on a post. If a man, verse 22, commits a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, it was a post. They were to take his corpse and they were to place it on a, on a post. There at the city gates. And every day, that day, when that corpse is put on the post, people would come in and out of the city and they would see the corpse on the post. And, and they would recognize, here is a man that is cursed. And by cursed, I don't mean they've cast a spell on him. I mean a curse in biblical terms is that of being rejected by God, being cut off from God, being removed from His loving care and His enjoyable presence. That is the curse. And a man who's committed such a crime is thereby separated from God. And people, as they came in and out, would say, and you'd be with your son, and the son would say, Oh, Daddy, what is that over there? That looks so terrible. And the father would use that as instruction. Son, that's a man who rebelled against God, and he was cursed by God. He's been rejected by God. There's no hope for that man. That would be quite the sobering illustration for anyone. But he wasn't going to stay there long. By nightfall, he's to be taken down and buried. He's to be taken down and buried. But I say to you, there's something about this picture that has real relevance for you and me. And you know what that is? Some of you are saying to yourself, well, Pastor, when are you going to get to Galatians 3? because Galatians 3 quotes this very thing. Because you see, left to ourselves, we are all cursed. The natural man is sinfully 
separated from God. We're separated from God because of our sin. We've rebelled against God. God says, here's the standard by which you are to live. You're to love me above everything else. You're, you're not to follow after idols. You're to honor your mother and your father. You're to set aside a day, a special day for me. You're not to kill. And by, by, by killing, I don't mean just sticking a knife in somebody's belly. You're not to treat, mistreat others. You're, you're, you're not to speak evil of another person. You're, you're not to call them names. You're, you're not to be prejudiced because of your upbringing and, your, and the things you've been taught all your life. Because a man may speak differently than you. Because he may be a different color than you. It doesn't make him any less human. And when you treat him like that, you've broken this sixth commandment. And all of us say, we're guilty. We're guilty. And sin is brought about Not just an earthly death, it's brought about an eternal death. Because of our sin, and we've all sinned, you know, I mean, as I speak to you this morning, I'm not not fearful of a contradiction. I'm not fearful that somebody's going to stand up or meet me at the back door and say, Pastor, you've never met me. How do you know I've never, how do you know I've sinned? My answer to you, my friend, is because the Bible tells me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all are separated from God because of our sin. We're undone. So what hope is there? That's the one thing about this passage. There's no hope for that man. There's no gospel. There's no good news. But for us, there is. Now, turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13. Galatians 3 and verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has set us free. He's delivered us, that is, believers, from the curse of the law. Notice, having become a curse for us, He took our sins upon Himself He became a curse for us. For it is written, and now here Paul quotes Deuteronomy 21, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He shed His blood on the cross, not for anything evil that He has done, But He became sin for us. He took our sins. 
And as he hangs there on a cross, he is numbered with the criminals. This man who is absolutely perfect and sinless is identified as a criminal who deserves death because not his sins, but our sins. He took the punishment we deserved. And this one, who is God in the flesh, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, no sin is to be found in Him, willingly was nailed to a tree and became a curse for all who will believe upon Him. Man of sorrows. What a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Think about it. You know, we live in a time and people wear crosses As though it's an instrument of beauty. The cross was an instrument of execution. And those who died upon a cross were cursed. And Jesus Christ died upon a cross, taking the punishment of our curse upon himself so that we might be reconciled to God. This morning, I ask you, what is your relationship to God? What's your relationship? I I believe in God. Pastor, I'm not a heathen. Of course I believe in God. Yeah, well, do you have a relationship with God? Are things well between you and God? Knowing that God hates sin. So how can you be reconciled to this God who is so holy He can't even look on sin? How can I be reconciled with Him? And the answer is, He sent His Son. That through Him and His finished work on our behalf, we might be reconciled to God. It's the only way. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. So Deuteronomy 21 is an illustration of man without no hope, no gospel, no good news. But fast forward to Christ coming into the world so that men may now have a hope and a gospel and a good news as He becomes cursed for us. Is He your Redeemer? Is He your Savior? 
He stands ready to save all who call upon Him. There was one man who came to recognize his sin and his undoneness. And what he deserved was God's wrath. And he came to understand that. And he simply prayed this prayer. It's very simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man went home justified. And I tell you this morning, if you're here without Christ, if you're here and still in your sin, if you simply cry out from the heart with faith, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He stands ready to save. What a wonderful God and a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and the direction that that Word gives to us. Father, we've been reminded even in this passage, that that sin has consequences. Sin separates us from God. Because of our sin, we live in hostility towards God. We were rebels and disobedient. But, but, But by Your grace, by Your grace, You brought us to faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ, so that many of us this morning can say that God is my God. Father, how we give You thanks for so great a salvation, but but how we pray for those who may be among us who yet do not know that reality. They're still living in rebellion to God. They, they're still living in disobedience. And Father, how we pray that they might see the beauty of our Savior. And that You might open their eyes to their need of Him. And even this day, come to know Him through His Son. And so, Father, take Your Word. Do us all good, we pray. May, Father, we... We learn from Your Word. May we love Your Word. May we live by that Word. Help us. May the Spirit of God help us as we ask these things in Your Son's name. Amen. In the hymns of grace, the hymns of grace 265, Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I trust we can say that, that He is the one who shed His blood for my sins. 265 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
Well, you're invited to stay for lunch if you would like, and then we'll have a service about 1.45, so coming around the Lord's table, keep that in mind, and you are dismissed.